Well, I'm excited to be here today. Am I talking to excited people? Am I talking to a church of excited people? I tell you what, man, God is amazing. When we trust God, great things happen. Our faith in God is never displaced. It never comes back to us void. We're excited uh, that you are here today. Uh, I have a treat for you. As you know, Pastor uh, Eric has been preaching in the book of James. And just James's kind of take on how you and I get to maturity uh, when we live kind of anti uh, and counter the world, counter the world's philosophies. And so we started off in week one, and Pastor taught us, talked to us about how to find uh, joy and tribulation in trials. And that was two weeks ago. And in fact, I know that you know my testimony that I came up after that and I was diagnosed with cancer on May 6th of this year and how God blessed me. And last, last week, I was supposed to have my kidney taken out. But when we trusted God and we prayed to God, and how many of us know God does miraculous things? And God does miraculous things. Uh, and, so, and so last week, I was on a cruise, and I went from the week when I was supposed to have surgery to I was in Belize and Costa Maya because God does miraculous and amazing things. And when we trust God, and in fact, as believers, and James is challenging us to grow past and grow out of a worldly mindset, that what breeds and brings success in the natural realm is not so in the spiritual realm. And, and we are called, church, to live counter the world's philosophies. And so today I have like one of the most exciting things that I can uh, do uh, here at Common Ground Northeast. Uh, I want to introduce our speaker for today who's going to uh, go right back in and help us to get to maturity and as it concerns one of society's greatest ills. And I'll let him tell you uh, what that is. Uh, but our speaker today, uh, uh, I've known for, for several years. Uh, in fact, he worked with us at the Healing Place Church. You all know I pastored the Healing Place for 15 years before coming here. Uh, this gentleman was one of our elders. He, for several years, he and his lovely wife, Michelle, ran our youth ministry. So uh, he's our pastor, Sam. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he ran our youth ministry. And most recently, uh, before we decided to do other, God called us to other things, he ran our men's ministry. So uh, at this time, he's a highly anointed of God. He is a, uh, I, I, we call him a, just kind of a walking Bible dictionary. God has given him great insight into his word. And, and, and tremendous uh, biblical kind of insight. So what I'd like to do at this time uh, is ask you to help me give a very warm common ground welcome to our friend and brother, Elder James Ware, as he comes to present the word of God for us today. Come on up, brother God. Appreciate that word, man.
I better? Okay, thank you. Uh, grace and peace to all the ministers, deacons, uh, administration and staff, and to all others in the body of Christ who are with us in person and those who are online. Amen? Amen, amen. Uh, Pastor uh, Eric has uh, delved into the book of James, and uh, I'm going to pick up where he left off in chapter 2. And um, I'm not going to be before you long. I know it's, uh, you know, 4th of July weekend. I'm going to come in, uh, you know, we're going to, this is going to be like an airplane, right? We're going to taxi. We're going to take off, right? I'm going to give you a few treats, a little nuggets. Uh, I don't have enough to share with everyone, so it's going to be symbolic nuggets, right? Because when you were early in elementary school, your teacher said what? Don't bring, if you don't bring enough for everybody, then, you know, you can't pull it out and eat it yourself. So, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I don't uh, have uh, physical nuggets to give you, but I just have some symbolic things that I want you to chew on. We're going to hit some turbulence along the way because when you're delving into the Word of God, there is going to be some rough patches because there's going to be some self-evaluation that we have. And then I'm going to land my plane, and then I'm going to let you get on uh, to your uh, other destinations that you might have this afternoon. This will not be an international flight, so don't worry about it. I'm not going to preach long. <laughs> amen. 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 And before we do that, let's go to our pilot, the Lord, right? And ask for his guidance and wisdom in today's service. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We come before you. Uh, humbling our, our hearts and bowing our heads, thanking you for all of that which you've done in our lives. We ask you come into service, uh, anoint the people's hearts to hear uh, what thus saith the Lord out of the book of James and out of your word uh, to better enhance, uh, better to uh, uh, mature the people so that we might walk upright before you and uh, be better people uh, going out as when we came in. I ask that you be with me, uh, cover me, um, uh, bless me, heal me, heal my family. Uh, oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my strength, and my redeemer. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 Let's give God some praise this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So now that we uh, talk to our captain, uh, which you rarely get to do on a plane, but we talk to our captain and we ask for his strength and his guidance today. We're going to tackle uh, James starting chapter in uh, chapter two, starting in verses one through, I'm going to cover one through ten. Um, I'm reading out of the uh, standard King James Version. Your version may read a little differently. Uh, James chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons, persons or partiality. For there come to you unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and godly apparel, and there come in also a man in vile raiment. Verse 3. And ye have respect to him that weareth the flashy clothing, and saith to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? 
key verse right here, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Have not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which has promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. But, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you from the judgment seats, before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? Key verse, verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of them all. Amen. And I'll end there. Amen. 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 Um, continue to be with me in prayer this morning as I go before you. Uh, Blame my head and not my heart, a little bit of nerves. <laughs> I just want to thank my wife for her attendance, uh, my wife, Michelle. Um, I have uh, a little bit about me. I have five sons, uh, all graduated, you know, high school, good. Uh, I have two just recently graduated college, one with a master's in uh, psychology, another um, with a graduate in psychology. So uh, they're off doing well, living good, productive lives, and uh, they cannot be here at this Day, but uh, I like to uh, thank them in their absence for their support. So, uh, amen? amen, amen, amen. It had been about uh, probably about three years before I stood before a congregation. You know, what I mean, this is three years BC, right? Uh, <laughs> Y'all know what three BC means, right? It don't mean before Christ anymore. Before COVID, right? Um, yeah, when COVID struck, the world continued to spin, but it also stopped. Amen. 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 So let's get into uh, the book of James. And I'm not going to do a really big background because uh, uh, Pastor Eric did a great job over the last couple of weeks uh, getting into some of the history of who James was. He was the key leader and the pillar of the church, uh, uh, kind of like a bishop in the Jerusalem church, uh, the half-brother of Christ and the brother of Jude. Uh, his nickname was James the Just because of his devotion unto righteousness. And you can see that within the writings. Um, in the book of James, and uh, there's about, uh, there's a lot of Proverbs, but there's a lot, there's about 40 references to the Old Testament, and about 20 uh, to the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, chapters 5 through 7. Uh, last week, I believe it was Pastor Eric who kind of uh, nicknamed, him, na nicknamed him Uncle James because of the wisdom that he gave, right? He nicknamed him Uncle James, and so, um, and so uh, I, I really like that uh, because of uh, his, how he uh, demonstrated how he wanted righteousness to be um, conveyed, right? He was uh, James the Just, right? So for me, you know, in, uh, in my family, you know, you have different uncles. And it doesn't matter if they're tall or whatever, but you just call them, you know, that's, that's your big uncle or, your, or big unk, right? So we're at a time period where, you know, uh, that's how I look at James. He's already been given the name of Uncle James. So we're going to see uh, what Uncle James is, uh, 
we're going to see what Uncle James is conveying to us today, right? Um, so we're going to see if we can pick up what Uncle James is putting down today, all right? All right. So uh, as I read the chapter, and I like to read before and after, um, initially there was no division in chapters or verses, right? Um, until later on when they separated those things. And so uh, he ended chapter 1 uh, explaining to us, chapter 1, verse 27, what uh, pure religion, right, is uh, in the congregation, right? Verse 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 reads, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit the orphans, the widows in their, in their trouble, and keep oneself unspotted from the world. This, again, is an Old Testament reference going back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 on how we should deal with the widows, the orphans, and what we know as the quartet of the vulnerable, right? The widows, the orphans, the strangers, or the immigrants, and the poor, whether they be economically or social outcasts in the community. Amen? Amen. So we see that James, this is where he is... Uh, 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 picking up from, right, as he concludes chapter one, he goes into chapter two, and as he's writing this epistle, I think he's taking a deep breath, right, because he's saying that there are some things that you guys are not touching on, and it's a moral issue within your community, right? These are the, the dispersed uh, throughout uh, the world, right? So there's an issue that he is uh, conveying and saying that there are some issues within the assembly, within the church, and uh, you guys have not been doing your due diligence and looking out for the orphans and the widows. And then there's an also an issue of you're keeping yourself unspotted from the world, as uh, verse 21 concludes. And I think he takes a deep breath. And as I was looking at this and reading this, I think he probably took a deep breath and he started writing um, chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, my brethren, which is um, a common uh, greeting to uh, those in the community, uh, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord of glory with respect of persons or that partiality, right? I think this is part of the keeping oneself unspotted from the world that he was in reference to at the end of chapter one because this has started to creep in to the church, this respecter of persons or this partiality, right? So he recognizes that yeah, uh, I referenced the orphans and the widows, but then we're having a problem with this partiality when it comes to the poor and in your judgment and your treatment of them. He goes on to say in verse 2, if there come any of you into an assembly with a, uh, a man with a gold ring or uh, goodly apparel, and then also a poor man in vile raiment, uh, you have respect to the ones with the flashy clothes. This is a worldly concept, Right? And then they begin to sit and place people in certain aspects pertaining to their outward appearance, right? So God is not saying that there's an issue with the gold rings and the flashy clothes, right? Because in my studies, you, I came across that there were even markets for people to rent these type of apparel, right? And rings and things like that, right? So even in first century, there was a time period where you could fake it till you make it, right? Where you can go in and you can rent rings and you can rent the apparel to look the part until you got there, right? So God really didn't have a problem with that. James didn't really have a problem with that. His problem is with your dividing 
uh, uh, how your treatment of one another as it pertains to the outward appearance of each other, right? And in the synagogues, there would be an open space where people would sit on the floor. And then there would be benches for those who, um, you know, had a certain status. And the Pharisees, of course, would sit in the benches up front, right? But they were looking at these people, not knowing their personality, not knowing their character, and bringing them in and sitting them in high positions based on their apparel, right? So he goes on to say in verse 4, then are you not then partial in yourselves, right? Challenging their, in, their inward parts, challenging uh, what it is that they were supposed to be doing in regards to how to conduct um, with one another, right, in the assembly, right? Verse 5, and then he says, Here, my beloved brethren, had not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that love them? So he goes on to say and admonishes the church that, listen, there are some who are poor but rich in faith right? And so it doesn't matter about the economic status, right, that they might be in, uh, but there's a classification that you're putting them in, that you're putting them under your footstool, and that's not righteous judgment, according to James, right? And so with that, he's saying, you know, um, you're putting yourselves and you're putting people in, in classifications, but all in all, being the body and the assembly of Christ, uh, there is no better class, right? There is no classism in the body of Christ, right? Even though they are particularly putting people in different classifications. But they've despised the poor in verse 7. They blaspheme. Uh, some of these people have even blasphemed the worthy name of God. So you're putting these people in places and they don't even believe what you believe. They even uh, 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 condemn the Christ which you say the blood was shed for and, you, and, and, and it covers you, they don't even believe what you believe, but you put them in haughty positions because of their outward appearance. Verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, ye shall love thy neighbor as thyself, James says, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. The law he's referring to is going back to Leviticus 19 and 15 and Leviticus 19 and 18, where it tells us how to conduct ourselves with loving our neighbor and loving those who are uh, immigrants or the strangers. Again, referring back to uh, the uh, quartet of the vulnerable that he also referenced uh, quite a bit within this uh, context of this word, right? Verse 10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, he is guilty of them all. There are three aspects of the 613 or more uh, laws written in the Torah and in the prophets. There's the ceremonial conducted by the priests, of course, right? There's the civil, which uh, conducts uh, law as what we might have in a civil court. You know, I did something to a uh, pastor's oxen or something like that. He can bring me before the court. And uh, there's laws pertaining to those things, right? But James is hitting upon James is hitting upon one very crucial part, and it's the moral aspect of the law, right? The moral aspect of you should not steal, 
you should not commit murder. You shall not uh, commit adultery with another man's wife. You, all of those things are a part of the moral aspect upon which James is in reference to in dealing with the, uh, those who were scattered abroad and uh, those who are um, in the church. Amen? So throughout chapter 2, in the very beginning, he's telling us that we have to do uh, an inward ex- uh, introspective look at ourselves. So we have to look within and to look again. Amen? Because when we see the outward appearance, which the world views, and we judge by that, we miss. We miss, right? So as right now we are um, descending and up in the air and all this other stuff, and, and before I land my plane, I'm going to give you a little nugget. I promise you a, a nugget, right? Uh, this nugget I'm going to give you is a word uh, called blind spotting, right? Blind spotting is um, an add-on from the word uh, kind of like blind spot, right? Where we have, a, uh, we, we, most of us drive, and there are areas in our car where we need side mirrors, rear mirrors to see our blind spot, right? Where things that we cannot see. And uh, this act of blind spotting uh, actually is when a situation or an image uh, can be interpreted in two different ways but you can only see one of the interpretations. You have a blind spot to the second interpretation, often used when referring to people seeing the wrong interpretation. Um, This is kind of a new word, right? So I couldn't find it in most dictionaries. It comes out of urban dictionary, right? Um, So this blind spotting word, this nugget that I'm gonna give you is what the church was doing at this time and what we're doing currently, right? Um, if you ever looked at certain pictures, uh, they have these ambiguous pictures. One, the most famous is called, uh, Reuben's face or Reuben's vase. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, been familiar with this, uh, picture. Um, but it's in connection with blind spotting, right? The picture, uh, if you look at it, you might see two people, two faces, face to face, right? That's the part of your brain, not your mind, uh, but a part of your brain that just saw what it saw, right? It could be a left brain or a right brain thing. I'm not going to get into all the scientific details of it. But it's a part of what, um, it's a part of what your brain picked up. The second picture within the picture is the vase, right? Some people don't see that. And it takes another person to point that out. Say, hey, I see you, that you see the two pictures. And you see the two faces facing one another. But in the middle of those faces, there's a vase. Right? So that is the concept of blind spotting. When you look at something and your brain just picks up one image of it. And it holds on to that image. Even after someone addresses and tells you, hey, listen, uh, there's another image to be seen in this picture. Right? And I believe James is conveying this message even though this is a new term, the, the, the thought process, James is conveying this message to the first century church, and he's letting them know that you guys have been blind spotting yourselves. You guys have been uh, looking at the outward appearance of people and not really seeing what's in the whole picture or the framework of the whole picture. So James here is writing to the church, and he's letting them know 
that uh, there's another picture there. But even in blind spotting, we can be shown that there's another picture, but our brain still sees what it sees, right? So that is the concept, and that is the nugget that I'm giving you concerning uh, blind spotting. Amen? So James is telling you to look within and look again because there's a bigger picture to be seen. Uh, because if we continue to look as the world sees, we're going to miss a whole lot. Amen? Concerning the people and how we should judge and conduct ourselves within the church, right? Here's the part where we're going to run into some turbulence, right? It's going to be uh, uh, a little bit uncomfortable because uh, we're going to look uh, inwardly, as James is telling the church, right? Have we personally blind-spotted ourselves when it comes to individuals in our lives? Have we looked at a coworker and just saw one aspect of them and not seen the whole picture, right? Have we looked at uh, a child raised in our own home, looked at them a certain way, and as they grew and developed and matured and started to change, we still only see one part or one picture of who they really are, right? Have we been blind spotted to our own spouses, the ones who are close to us, where we see only one aspect of them, amen? And as they grow and mature, as we all do in life, we only see one part, right? What about the collective aspects of this blind spotting uh, uh, nugget that I just gave you, this word, right? What about the collective part of this, what James is talking about? You do a uh, uh, personal right, reflection, but then collectively as a society, how have we looked at others and not seen the full, bigger picture of what they can bring to this society and who they really are and, 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 and how we could all benefit from us being collectively a part of one another, being viewed as the big picture and not just the two faces in opposition, or not just the vase that is in the middle, but the full picture, right? Right. So we know that uh, and we see that people are putting themselves through economics or whatever the case may be into classifications, right? But in Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, right? There is no class. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we are no better than one another. To, and it doesn't matter if, it, if, if it's an economic or a race thing or a gender or a job title. Amen? James wants us to grow in the maturity of our walk, amen? And in the walk and in the first century, uh, before they were known as Christians, they were just called followers of the way. There was a way that followers of Christ and John and the apostles and James walked. He said, you will know me by your love for one another. And James is telling the church that you are not operating in the full capacity of your love because you're blind spotted. You seeing things from a worldly perspective. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here also where it gets a little bit rough and, and, and the turbulence starts, and because we are on the 170th anniversary of um, Frederick Douglass on July 5th, uh, given his famous speech called What to the slave is the 4th of July. This was done in Corinthian Hall in Rochester, New York, 
And it was set up by the vast majority of abolitionists because Frederick Douglass was, was a very famous abolitionist. Uh, but it was during that weekend of celebrating the 4th of July. Uh, the Civil War had not, been, had not started yet because this is July 5th, 1852, right? So there was no uh, outright banishment of what is called chattel slavery. Douglas denounces that the churches, he's bringing this not back to the world, but he's convicting the churches as what James did, right? The churches for betraying their own biblical and Christian values. He is outraged by the lack of responsibility and the indifference towards slavery that many sects have taken around the nation. He says, if, if anything, many churches actually stand behind slavery and support the continued existence of this institution. Amen. So can you imagine in 1852, July 5th, celebrating uh, at, uh, the, the nation's independence and Frederick Douglass comes in uh, with this speech heavy on his heart? Uh, don't you think he probably hit a lot of turbulence, right? conducting that speech it didn't matter if he was in new york or wherever because they were in celebration of, of of freedom for the nation but he looks at it and even in his his uh i think they named it that i don't know if he named it that himself but what to the slave is the fourth of july so he's saying listen you're celebrating we're not right we're not right so he also looks at how other people in other areas of the world have dealt with this issue of slavery and how the British in 1808 had banished it through the works of the church and how the church was so influential in, in legislating laws to abandon that practice, right? And he said the British accomplished this through the religion, or more specifically the church. Because the church stood behind the decision to abolish selling and buying of people, so did the rest of the country. Douglas argues that the religion is the center of the problem, but also the main solution to it. Amen? We are the solution, being followers of Christ. Looking at how James laid out chapter 2, and how we look at ourselves, and we look within, and then we look again at our fellow man, we become the solution to the problem. Amen. Douglas believed that slavery could be eliminated with the support of the church and also with the re-examination of what the Bible actually says. In his speech, he says, you profess to believe that of one blood, God made all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Is that not word? Is that not Bible? That is true. Of one blood, right? From Adam, right? and have commanded all men everywhere, as he continues, to love one another. Same thing James says. Yet you notoriously hate and glory in your hate all men whose skins are not colored like yours. Turbulence he had when he walked off that stage, right? Turbulence we have uh, here today when we look and we self-evaluate uh, not just uh, ourselves, but collectively as a community, as a church, as a body of Christ, the changes that we need to make within the body, how we need to look at each other differently and not be blind spotted so much by what uh, we have 
um, through just the way we've been raised, right? Amen? Amen. Douglas wants his audience to realize that they are not living up to their proclaimed beliefs. He talked about how they, being Americans, are proud of their country and their religion and how they rejoice in the name of freedom and liberty and yet do not offer those things to millions of their country's residences. He did not say citizens because at that time they were not. But change came, right? Change came, right? So with that, he is pointing out uh, uh, a psychological term uh, within the aspect of uh, another nugget I'm going to throw out here to you. This is a little bonus nugget. Something called cognitive dissonance, right? And the clinical term for that or the definition is the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and an attitude change. So what Frederick Douglass is saying, so what James was saying, right, was that you profess one thing in your actions, right? In, in, in what you, in, you, you profess one thing in what you say, but your actions are contrary, right? This is what psychologists claim or, or state to be cognitive dissonance, right? There's a disconnect in what you say you believe and your actions concerning what you say, amen? So what James is saying is that the church has put itself to be above the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Jesus said, let your actions uh, and your righteousness, your righteousness, your moral compass, your moral righteousness be above those of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? That was his charge to us. But James is saying, you're letting Jesus down by your proclamation and your propensity to look on the outward expression of a person and not the inward. Amen? Because we cannot all help, right, the skin that we were born into, the areas in which we were economically born into. We cannot help the crisis or uh, the maybe the good area in which you were born into. All those things we cannot help, right? We, couldn't, we didn't pick our parents, right? My mother did a great job. My father died when I was four. My mother did an excellent job. I was the youngest of raising me, right? But if truth be told and be honest, as much as I love my mother, man, I would've, wouldn't be born rich, right? <laughs> to escape some of the things that, you know, we, you know, I had to deal with coming up. And uh, I won't carry on too much long. I said I was gonna land my plane, right? But here it is. <laughs> But here it is. These things cause stress and anxiety when we continue to operate out of this cognitive dissonance of where we say one thing and we live contrary. Amen. And James is saying this respecter of persons is a sin. It goes against the Levitical law. It goes against the moral aspects of the law. As I land my plane, this this right here falls back into the lap of the church, right? Because we are believers, right? We're here to hear the word, what thus saith the, 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 the Lord on today. Uh, uh, um, the Lord has given me a perspective from James 2 in which you guys have been 
operating in, and, 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 and Pastor Ken and Pastor Eric have been going into this book and have been preaching and laboring before you. Right now, right here, the charge is on you. The charge is on me. The charge is on us as a collective body, right? The world will most definitely be influenced by the flash, the glitz, the glamour of Hollywood, right? The rappers, the actors, the influencers, right? I don't fully understand what an influencer is. I know about them, don't fully understand. These people got check marks on TikTok, Instagram, and, 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 and all these other things. I don't understand what they do, but they are influencers. So we put their influence or their thoughts above our own. We go by what we go by their lead instead of following Christ's lead and by what James is telling us and how to act, right? That's the world by which we need to pull out from and not following all of these people who are influencers but don't have the introspective word of God operating within them, right? MLK on uh, April 1963 penned a letter from the Birmingham jail, and it challenged his fellow clergymen across all religions and denominations to look within and to look again, to recognize that their current struggle for equality and equity and justice crosses into all moral codes of all religious sects in the world. Later that year in August, he spoke the famous uh, uh, phrase that he wanted his children to one day be not be judged by the color of their character. I mean, I messed that all up. Not be, continue to keep me in prayer. I'm almost landed. <laughs> Y'all know when it's about to land, the, 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 everything, the wheels come out, and it gets a little rocky, right? Keep me in prayer, right, as I finish this. One day be judged not by the color of their skin, but by what? The context of their character. At that point in time, blind spotting still occurred. He's saying, look within, but look again at my children. You're going to see me a certain way, but one day they'll grow up in a society where they'll not just see the faces, but then they'll see the vase in the whole picture. Amen? Amen. James is saying that showing respect to persons is a transgression against the moral law and is sin. He said we should look within and look again to love our neighbors as ourselves. But in order to do that, we must recognize that there are certain aspects of the world in which we live in, the world in which we were raised, that prevented us from being neighbors. There was redlining, public housing, discrimination. In this book, The Color of Law, Richard Rothstein talks about uh, the, forgetting, the forgotten history of how our government segregated America, an in-depth look of how we were purposely not brought together but pushed apart, right, on the local, state, and federal level. As believers, we must depend on the world, we must not depend on the world or society to legislate morality in its law, but if we truly read the word, meditate on his word, look within so we can look again, with a fresh perspective so that we will not be blind spotted as to what we have always seen, but, we could, but this could lead us into seeing, judging, and acting righteously 
towards our neighbors and to avoid being in sin, our Uncle James in verse 8 says, to love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you do well. Amen? Amen, amen. That concludes I landed my plane today. <laughs> amen. Thank you for keeping me in prayer today. And um, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and continue to have his face shine upon you. Amen.